Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. As usual, we have some amazing guests on today that I'm very excited to talk to. So Christopher Bailey and Kim Bullock, they are with ExxonMobil, and they're going to talk a little bit about what they're doing in a big corporation when it comes to innovation. And I also wanted to bring them on the show because they're going to be speaking at the back end of Innovation Conference in Phoenix on October 17th through 19th. So I want to hear a little bit more about what they're going to be talking about there. Christopher and Kim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks. Excellent, guys. Well, thank you for being part of the podcast. I'm excited to have you guys on the show for a couple different reasons. First of all, we talk about innovation. And when we're talking about big corporate innovation, you know, there aren't very many bigger companies than like an ExxonMobil with a lot of different divisions. I'm excited to hear a little bit about how does ExxonMobil and YouTube in particular tackle this big idea of innovation in a big corporate environment. So why don't we start by telling us a little bit about how you got involved in innovation and what are some of the things that you started to go through here? Sure. My background real quick, I'm in IT and started off in operations kind of roles and then moved into project management. And then as we say internally, I was life flighted into this innovation gig and and brought in really to help us start to figure out like, what does this look like internal to an organization? How do we start making those changes? And, you know, just one of the mindsets that we began to use at the beginning was just learning as much as we could and trying to fill out sort of this big mental map of what innovation looks like and all the different pieces that would come into it from culture to processes and tools and just like listing all these different things out. And then from that period saying, all right, well, let's pick one and decide which kind of route that we want to go down and treat ourselves as serial entrepreneurs in trying to create the culture and environment. So that's a little bit about how I got started. Right. And for me, I had a little bit different path than Christopher did. I actually, for several years, have been in ExxonMobil Chemical. And as part of that role, I actually did a lot of things that was considered fairly innovative. So the IT organization was looking to expand a little bit and get Christopher some help in the hashtag innovation space. So they reached out and pulled me over. So I spent about a year over in the IT organization and hashtag innovation with Christopher. And now I just recently moved. I actually sit in corporate and I am doing innovation in the corporate space, but still partnering very closely with Christopher. So you you mentioned you kind of started a lot of the the work in innovation by trying to understand the landscape. And that's where it seems like a lot of corporations try to start. What are some of the things that you did early on to kind of set the stage for innovation at ExxonMobil? One of the things that we tried initially was to collect all the different models and definitions and, and all of that, that that people put around innovation. So things that people are likely familiar with, like the innovation ambition, the horizons model, the, those kinds of things. And then pick out from there, what are some of the things that our folks internally are trying to solve mentally? And which one of these models is going to help people to start to figure that out? Just trying at a a super basic level to get people using and talking about innovation through a similar language. You know, in order to do that, we had to create some education and classes. We also developed our, our own internal podcast and have been running that you know, for the last couple of years to further get that mindset and language out there so that we're all coming from the same perspective. 
when you talk about trying to get people on board and that it seems like obviously culture is the first thing you needed to get aligned. So everybody was talking about the same frameworks and, and understanding of what innovation means, because I think that's where a lot of corporations kind of stumble. They don't really define what innovation is to their particular companies. Talk a little bit about how innovation from the standpoint of how much was it done by the innovation group? How much was pushed towards the business units? How'd you play that dance or what was kind of the role of innovation and specifically what you guys did within ExxonMobil? Yeah, that, that's actually a really intriguing question because it highlights one of the core differences between us and some of our peers. So you know, anytime that Kim and I would go to a conference, most of the people that you go there and you talk to at a, at a conference are in some R&D or product development right. sort of area. And so like I, I would look at that as the doers, the, the people on the teams that are trying to drive forward some innovative product to a conclusion or explore a number of different products. We approached this a little bit differently where we said, and for better or worse, we were not given a whole lot of people. So it was a very, very small organization and essentially no budget. So that forced us in order to act a little bit scrappier. And we weren't given a budget because we also were not trying to drive out very specific kinds of products. Our focus was more around sort of the outer system from which a team is going to actually work. And so what started to pop up within the organization is, as we began working was we were solving the problem of how teams innovate and then other teams within, say, like, you know, the upstream research organization or, you know, our, our downstream engineering or chemicals started to create these innovation teams or, you know, rework teams that were already kind of focused in on new product development, right. but then leveraging a lot of the stuff that we were using and creating over in IT in order to help their people to work more effectively. And so there created this very symbiotic, synergistic relationship between us that were focusing in on the people processes, tactics, and those teams external from us that were actually driving and using those practices to drive towards a conclusion. Kim, one of the things I know that you guys are talking at the BEI conference about, I think the title of your talk is Igniting a Grassroots Movement of Entrepreneurs. And it, obviously at a huge company, it can't be a small two-person team that does all the innovation. What are some tips or things that you can share with the audience when it comes down to creating that movement within organization to create more and more entrepreneurs or people that can actually execute on this stuff? We've done many things, right? One of the first things we did, we will talk a little bit about, we kind of call it grassroots 1.0. So we created this space where people could come and throw their ideas in the hat and we would try to give them some encouragement and guidance and what have you, give them some tools and, and processes to use in the space. I will say that we, since then, we've made a lot of improvements and Christopher can kind of go down that road a little bit further, but what we realized very quickly, we were doing a really good job in pockets of, of changing the mindset and getting people on board to do this kind of work and work this way. However, some of the things that we weren't doing very well was we were not protecting those people. We weren't protecting their time. So they still had a functional role they had to go do, which, you know, obviously typically will take precedence over other kind of work. You had issues like that. Some of the other things we discovered was even though we were giving people, we were arming our people with how to work differently and, and these tools and processes, we weren't really teaching their leaders how to treat them differently, right? right? So we, we had to step back and look at some of that. So we kind of consider some of those things early failures and we've revamped as we've gone forward. So what are some of the things that you've done then to overcome those objections or those potential early problems that you saw? Yeah, one of the things that we tried early on was 
So as you're mentioning, like two people just on their own can't go out and do this entire thing requires a large group of individuals, both the network of entrepreneurs as well as leaders to come in. And so we had this very simple idea of people already have an idea. Let's just arm them with what they need in order to go out and do it. And we need to bring in some leadership to help give those people the empowerment, the funding, the, you know, the resourcing that they need in order to go forward. And so we brought in uh, primarily a bunch of very senior technical leaders within the organization and saying, well, you know, leadership is what we need. And the very first session that we ran where we were going through ideas and giving some initial pitches, it really struggled primarily because the mindset within the leadership hadn't shifted appropriately. And a lot of that was on us for not really teaching them the right kind of mindset that these are not fully formed projects. The, right. the leadership was essentially waiting to see, you know, a full list of terms of reference for everything that we're going to do and the ROI for all of them. So they're asking those kinds of questions of ideas that were in just a stage of germination. And so that was actually one of the very first things that we changed was we went back through and took a look at each person that was on what eventually we called our VC board, our venture capital board, internal ventures, and looked at their background history. You know, did they have the right kind of mindset? Is this something that we can train them on so that we got the right people in those positions to be able to help other people to be able to innovate, help our entrepreneurs to, to be able to innovate. And then did you use a kind of a metered funding type of model where ideas came into the funnel and the growth board or the VC board then quote unquote invested in those particular ideas incrementally or how did that work? Yeah, so that's a more recent change that we're just initiating. We tried things to, and, and this is sort of just a general mindset that we've taken, is to say, let's try the simplest version of everything that we can do and then iterate from there. So our very right. simple version was, the only thing that people need is time and funding for this. And so we gave them that, and things went really well for a couple of years, but then we're sitting back and looking and saying, like, 75% of the ideas that are coming through are active and they're just still kind of like hanging in this perpetual state <laughs> of motion without actually moving to a destination. And that started to cause us to say, maybe we need a bit more structure in terms of what we're asking of these teams to do. You can teach people about lean startup and design thinking and all these things, but if they're not being held accountable to following those kinds of practices, then they either don't follow them or they use them to a less effective state. What we're trying out now is what we're calling an accountability model, where you have the VCs and the entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs are actually bringing to the VCs, like, here's what we need to learn. Here's how we're going to learn it. And here's what we think success is going to look like in the end. And so here's how much funding we need in order to make that next milestone and sort of calling out milestones. And when they're done with that milestone, then they come back and get additional funding or they actually get parked or pivot towards right. something else. Like the, the idea now actually changes away from this perpetual state of motion to we need to use data to validate whether or not we're making the right bet. I think that's so important. You think about, you almost have to give the permission for the teams to get to a point where they say it's okay to kill this particular idea because it's not getting traction or our assumptions aren't holding true and give them an opportunity to either go back and try a different idea or not have that stigma. I think we have in corporations that stigma of if it doesn't succeed, it's a complete failure and, and you've lost your career ladder and everything else. But having that ability to kind of take stock on a time basis and, and kind of say, here's what we learned, here's what we're learning and give the permission to say, we're done. <laughs> Let's try something different. It's pretty powerful. It's really easy to take a look at an idea 
and show some bright spots around it and essentially just let it keep going because we're so hopeful that something's going to come out of it right. and not really look at the truth behind, like, are we actually getting data that is progressing in a direction? You know, it's, it's really hard for especially a large organization to take a look at an idea and say, you know what, it's time to stop this, even though there are good things about it. Because it's hard for us to admit that, you know, this thing may not be working out. And it comes from very, very simple and understandable situations. I, I was acting as a VC to one of these new teams in, in our new model, and, and they were coming back after some additional data gathering and, and experiments that they were running, and they were giving me a lot of positive messages of, yeah, you know, we learned these things and we feel really good about it, but through a number of questions that, that we asked them, it turned out that the truth, like where their hearts really were, was we don't really feel that we should keep making this bet. But it's, we're, we're always in this motion of like, yeah, I mean, the next thing to do is to keep going. And so it can be really tough to adjust that inertia or, or move away from that inertia unless we're making very, very clear decision points and saying it is totally on the table right now for us to say we're going to park this. And that's okay because it, it's not about like you've done something wrong. It's right. about the choices that we're making. And there may be other things that we may want to do. It was truly a fundamental shift, I think, for us to get to the point where it was viewed as okay for us to go out and run experiments and, you know, fail fast and learn, right, and, and then move forward or stop or what have you. That was a considerable hurdle for us to get past. Yeah, from all the companies that I talk to as well, it, it seems to be a, a common hurdle because, again, if you think about it logically or whatever, you know, you built an organization based on optimizing that existing business model and that and failing at that existing optimized business model is really not an option. <laughs> and so if you have that particular mindset and apply that to new stuff can sometimes get in the way. You mentioned earlier, one of the interesting things that you guys do that I haven't heard from a lot of other companies is to kind of continue that education and get a larger audience involved in innovation. You started a podcast, an internal podcast. Tell us a little bit more about how that started and, and kind of what you learned from that particular process. This is actually one of one of my favorite ones, not only because it's sort of, you know, clo close to the heart, but th there were so many things that we learned in doing this. We were in the process at the time, as a couple years back, of developing some classes and, and just sort of the normal things that you think about in, in terms of how do I educate a, a mass audience? And, and we were thinking outside of just the ExxonMobil IT personnel, we already had, quote unquote, customers of our services outside of just IT. And so we're thinking broadly about ExxonMobil as a whole and, and how do we educate and you know, how do you go to multiple sites and, and get content out there. And, you know, and training just is one of the typical things that we think about. And my, my buddy Jeff Rosenbaugh and I, we were sitting there talking about these different questions that we were getting. There were lots of people calling and asking us, you know, questions about like, hey, tell me about this innovation topic or, hey, teach me about this. I need to learn a little bit more. And coming off of a phone call once and saying like, man, I just answered this same question for now, you know, the 10th or 20th time. Right. And it's not a problem that they had. It was a problem that, that we were having in terms of not recognizing there were some common things that, that people were looking for and, you know, basically pitching to the other person like, so wouldn't it be nice if I just hit record on that conversation and then press play for anyone else in the organization that, that had that same question? And both Jeff and I were, were really into podcasts externally and said, man, you know, what if we actually did an internal podcast? And we kind of laughed because there was, there was no service or platform for this. 
but we took a look at ourselves and said, hey, you know, if we are really serial entrepreneurs within the organization, if we're talking about lean startup and, and all of these different practices and design thinking, then we should also be walking that talk. And so why don't, why don't we go out and create one and experience a lot of this again for ourselves? And so we took a step back and, and recognized like what our most critical assumption was, which at that time it was that somebody was actually going to listen to us. <laughs> right. You know, if, if we put something out there and again, there was no platform. So where are we going to put this? Well, let's put it in a file share somebody somewhere and create a link to it. And then, you know, send it out to a whole bunch of friends and see who actually clicks. And there was a way that we could track clicks through that link. And so we did that and ran actually a number of different very small experiments where we recorded just off of our own machines, put out episodes. We tested out different kinds of content and formats and eventually like grew this into really well thought of podcasts within within the environment to the point that we started to inspire some other people to say, hey, we'd like to do some podcasting as well. Like, how are you guys doing that? And that that got us thinking about creating a platform. And so we, you know, went scrappy again and, you know, hobbled together like a really, a really good web platform, grew that a little bit further and started to get other people in there doing their own podcast channels and producing episodes to the point where we eventually got and, and developed our own internal podcasting application so that we could branch it out even further. There's a whole bunch of different like cool stories in there, but like a lot of the decisions that we were making were based off of the data. Like if we got people listening and you know we had our own thresholds that we needed to meet in order to say that it was a good idea. If there were two people that listened, probably don't have something yeah, right. here if you know the percentage is very small. But we did a lot of research on you know, what are the percentages of people internally and externally to companies that listen to podcasts? And so we knew about what we should be hitting and made those decisions based off of the data. Even later on, when we were looking at how do we grow this audience further, even the question of should we just cut episodes into smaller pieces or should we develop a mobile experience for people? Yeah, people would give us their opinions, but let's do A-B testing. Like, let's actually try both of those things and then see which one actually drives the kinds of behaviors that we're looking for and then go down those paths. And so it, it really taught us, again, the need for using data at every step in order to make decisions about what we should do further. The last piece that I'll, I'll comment on this is we were really focused in on trying to educate a broad set of the organization. But when you're looking at internal podcasting, you, you do have to recognize that, you know, even externally, not everyone listens to podcasts. Right. And so podcasting would be a part of a broader strategy for or for educating the organization. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking kind of education, you know, I'm going to be at the back end of Innovation Conference. You're going to be at the back end of Innovation Conference. What are some of the things you, you hope to share with folks there? Obviously, you'll get case studies and examples like this, but what are you hoping to share with the audience at that conference, as well as what are you expecting to learn from that conference? I think one of the things that we for sure want to share, I, and I don't know, one of the things we're doing is a two-hour workshop with the conference. So, we really want to share one we'll talk a little bit about our journey and, and share some of our stories but what we really want people to walk away with is something they can actually go back in action or do something within their own organization right so many times you go to a conference and and you hear some really great or cool stories or things but you don't really have um the tools in your toolkit then to walk away and go back into your own organization and truly action it and do something with it right 
So Absolutely. the two-hour workshop we're actually going to be conducting, we are going to give people actual tools. We're going to walk them through a very mini version of a two-day camp that Christopher and I put together and, and conduct internally here at ExxonMobil. We're going to do a, a mini two-hour version of that boot camp and actually provide people with real useful tools that they can walk away with and then go back into their own company with and implement and do something with. And that's very important for us. Yeah. One of those key things I think would be understanding that healthy tension that needs to exist between entrepreneurs and their leadership. And and there's a very simple analogy that we use to entrepreneurs and their VCs. There's a healthy tension that exists there between going broad and exploring very broad things and being very focused on delivery and outputs. And when you get that healthy tension right, then we've seen that start to drive not only the right kinds of behaviors around how people are progressing towards something. So like, are they leveraging lean startup? But then also just the general outputs as well. Like we move faster as an organization towards better kinds of outcomes. And similarly to your other question, I think that's also what we're interested to learn. This has been an aha moment for us in understanding like it's not just about teaching people to do something, but setting up the system so that they can like be effective both between leadership and individuals. And so learning other ways that other companies are doing that as well, that's interesting to us right now because we're still in a bit of a learning mode ourselves. And you know, we feel like we've gotten a couple of answers around this and, and are trying and testing some things out, but are interested to learn more from our, our peers. Absolutely. And two things as well. You know, one of the things that we've learned on our own internal journey is you can't do this working differently and and in a different fashion when you are using the same tools that you've always used, right? You're now working under a lot of assumptions and what have you. There's a lot of uncertainty. So you don't have those calculated risk and what have you like you used to because there's so much uncertainty. So you can't really effectively use the same toolkit you've always used. So that was a huge lesson for us that we want to convey to our audience as well as from the leadership side. We've, we've talked a good bit about that already. Our leaders can't continue to treat these new working and thinking differently teams the same way they always have. It's just it's just not effective when we want people to work and think differently than they ever have. Yeah, there's a new set of leadership behaviors. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. And I'm I'm looking forward to the conference for that very reason as well. So Christopher and Ken, very much uh, looking forward to meeting you at the back end of Innovation Conference here in a few weeks in Phoenix. For those folks on the audience who maybe can't make the conference, but want to either get introduced to yourself or find out a little bit more about you, what's the best way to reach out or connect? Sure. I'd say the best way would be uh, reaching out via LinkedIn. Got uh, you know my profile out there with uh, other interesting things that we've done here as well. So folks can take a look at that and, and reach out by, by that. Absolutely. Me as well. Well, Christopher and Kim, thank you very much for being on the Inside Outside Innovation Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in a few weeks and look forward to continuing to hear about the adventures of innovation around the world. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.